0: What does the Bible have to say about wealth? In today's episode, I speak with Jeff Geip. Jeff was a successful businessman in Southern California. Later, he became a pastor in one of the most affluent communities in America. And today he lives in a very affluent community as well. He's done a lot of work theologically and pastorally in regard to how to think biblically about wealth. And he's going to share some of that wisdom with us in this episode. I hope you'll enjoy it. I'll be back at the end with a few closing thoughts. Welcome to Theology for the People. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Pastor Jeff Geip. Hey, Jeff, welcome
1: to the program. Good to see you, Nick. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome.
0: Jeff, maybe you could introduce yourself to our listeners. We've known each other and we talk all the time, but our listeners, I'm excited for them to get to know you. So maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background and what you're doing these days.
1: Yeah, well, I guess a good place to start is I was born again in 1991 at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Prior to that, I was a successful young businessman. About the age of 29, I had had a a good amount of wealth and was empty, never felt anything in the world that could satisfy. And when I met Jesus, I found myself being filled and being whole and just fell in love with the Lord. You know, six or seven months after I was born again, my wife and I went to Israel with Pastor Chuck and it was in Israel that I felt like, man, God's God could call me and use me for something. And I didn't even know what that meant at that time. You know, and about six or seven months after that, I started the school and ministry at Coward Chapel, Costa Mesa, under my good friend and pastor Carl Westerlin. And, and then God just kind of took over from there. You know, I continued my business. My business began to flourish as a Christian and we did very well, had a great partner in business. We both loved the Lord. God used our company amazingly and then in two thousand five, God put on my heart to plant a church. I'd been pastoring a lay pastor at Costa Mesa as their college and career pastor since two thousand three. And then two thousand five God called us to plant a church in and- Newport Coast, California. I say Newport Coast, it is Newport Beach, but they like to call themselves Newport Coast because I think the average income there is $400,000 a year. Wow. So yeah, it's it's one of those neighborhoods. And it was a great experience. We were there for 15 years. And then just right before COVID, I started transitioning from being a, a, a pastor of a local church to being a pastor with pastors with Calvary Global Network. And and that's what I'm doing full-time now. And actually, I am the CFO and the director of development. So I still have the little bit of business in there, but I also get the pastor pastors. And so it's it's a good thing.
0: That's awesome. Hey, what industry were you in when you were there in California?
1: I owned a packaging company. We were a distributor, mainly custom packaging. So everybody knows Mattel Toys. That was my largest customer. Every single toy that they put in a bag it was my bag. Wow. <laughs> I sold them poly bags, and a lot of their labels. And it was a it was a big company, and I I sold to many of their facilities in Mexico for, gosh, fifteen twenty years. So you so weren't the guy
0: creating deal. those plastic things that no one can open, like the.
1: No, I wish I was that. Genius. Yeah. Those guys are those guys are well. Totally. <laughs> they must have teamed
0: up with so, like the scissor manufacturers or like the knife manufacturers, because those things are so incredibly hard to open.
1: They really are. They're more than childproof. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, well, cool. For sure. Yeah. So the fast-paced, super sexy world of packaging. And
1: yeah. Do you miss it? You know, parts of it I do. God gave me a creative ability for that world. And I enjoyed working with the many different manufacturing companies. You know, I worked at food companies and toy companies and many different ones. And so I liked the diversity. And honestly, <laughs> there was a joke around our church. We were a smaller church and the joke was, were more people born again in your company than there were at the oh. church? And there might be some truth to that because God used our company amazingly. Many of our sales reps became believers. Customers became believers. It was, it was really exciting times. For so sure. when
0: you were transitioning into planting a church there in Newport Coast, what happened to the business? What happened with your involvement in it?
1: Oh, man do you re- <laughs> I do want to know? <laughs> let let's just readers' digest version. we We tried to sell it. The market dropped out. We weren't getting the money that we were hoping to get. My partner was 20 years older than me. We were both hoping to get enough money to retire. We're talking, you know, a few million dollars, and so it was potentially really good. but God pretty much confronted me, called me the rich young ruler, and said, "I want you to give it up." So he called me to give the company to my partner and the best decision I've ever made. There are days of regret because I have no money now, (laughs) but for the best, for the most part, I saw God do miraculous things. I've not had to look back. God's always provided for our needs. So financially, it
0: wasn't like a big jump up when you became a pastor? (laughs)
1: Oh no, (laughs) I I am not one of those preachers with really fine sneakers. Yeah, it was it was going from, you know, middle to high six figure income to under six figures, was quite challenging. Well, but God God. I imagine
0: living in that community too. It was even more challenging than it might be, you know, in middle of Nebraska or something like that.
1: Yes, but I I am I am quite certain that God put me Mm. there for that reason. You know, so. Yeah, it was a good thing. But there were some wealthy people.
0: Cool. Well, Jeff, I know that you are... In addition to being a businessman, being a pastor, being a CFO, all of these things, you're also a seminary graduate. And you and I recently, we were chatting about something. That's why I wanted to have you on the podcast was because you were telling me about a paper you wrote, a study you did called Wealthy and Whole, which has now become more than just a seminary paper. It's become even kind of a ministry. So Jeff, please just tell us about Wealthy and Whole. What is it? What's the backstory to it?
1: That's great. I guess I would like to start off by saying that if you're listening right now and you're thinking, I'm not wealthy, well, I want you to I want you to read hear the statistics. There is an article that came out titled Feeling Poor. See where you fit in the global rich list. (laughs) And it says this on the income scale, if you make minimum wage. Now, this is a few years ago, which equates to seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour you would already be in the top 10% of global income. In fact, you would be in the top 7.8% of income earners worldwide. If you earn more than $50,000, you would be in the top 1% of the world's population. Why is that important? It's important because we live in America. We are wealthy compared to other countries. And I think it's important that we always remember that in that sense. And the other thing is that if you're not wealthy, it's likely that you desire to be wealthy. And why do I say that? Well, it's part of our DNA. <laughs> it's, it's, it comes from our, our founders and forefathers. I mean, Benjamin Franklin, you know, a writer, scientist, inventor, statesman, diplomat, printer, publisher, political philosopher, and one of our founding fathers... He's the one that said early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. So it's part of it's part of our DNA, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I had heard some statistics also a couple of years old, but I think they're still relevant. I mean, this person, we 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 covered this when we were looking at some of the parables where Jesus gives, for example, speaks to the 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 Foolish Rich Man. I believe it's in Luke 10, where Jesus is talking to this man who was rich materially, but poor towards God. And, you know, I think it's really easy for people to hear those proverbs and those, those parables and say, oh, yeah, I sure hope those rich people are reading this. Like, I should—maybe I'll, I'll right. tell them, tell some <laughs> rich people I know that they need to read this. But the fact is, historically and globally, we in the United States and even in the Western world— are the, are the richest people who have ever lived almost as a demographic and a group of people, that means that GS actually is talking to us and it would be good for us to heed it. And one of the statistics I heard said that in the United States, for example... If you look at the size of houses over the years, starting in the 1950s, post-World War II, and going up, you know, the size of houses has grown exponentially, the average house, while the size of families has shrunk, and the size of yes. garages. So we used to have, you, you know, carports, then we went to single-car garages and double garages. Now it's pretty normal for new builds to have three-car garages, and yet we also have in addition to that, storage units. So this person was saying, like, the personal storage unit says so much (laughs) about us that not only in our gigantic houses with nobody in them do we not have enough room for our stuff, but now we rent out other places that happen to be made of the same materials and about the same size as the places where most people in the world live, right? They're made of cinder blocks and, like, corrugated steel. And and we put all our extra stuff in there that we don't want to see but we don't want to get rid of. And this person said, statistically, there are five times more storage unit facilities, not storage units, storage unit facilities, five times more than there are Starbucks in America. So if you think there's a lot of Starbucks, there are five times more storage facilities, which says something about our wealth.
1: My wife and I, we drove to Georgia this last weekend and on our way home. I mean, we live in Williamson County, which is probably in the top 10 wealthiest counties in the United Mm -hmm. States. And we're talking huge homes on acres and acres of land, but man, there are so many storage units. And we had that exact conversation, like people are keeping stuff in here that they will probably never, ever look at again. And they're paying monthly for those. And so to your point earlier, Nick, in Newport Coast, there was a, when you drive down Newport Coast Drive towards the the beach, there's these homes up on the right-hand side. And the average home is about 10,000 square feet. And my best friend and one of the elders in our church was a realtor. And he would, he would told me that those homes have an average of two to three people that live in them and, and they're not occupied. These are, these are global billionaires that are, this is part of their homes. And, and so living in that neighborhood, ministering in that neighborhood, looking at all of that, I just, I, the book of Ecclesiastes is like real to me because I've just kind of lived through that not only in my life experience but also in my ministry experience. And here's Solomon, if or the author of Ecclesiastes. I believe it's Solomon. I know there's others who might argue that, but here he was can, can, could have been the wealthiest, wisest man to ever walk on the planet. And he, he says, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he ta- toils under the sun? And that word profit is only used in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it means that which is left over.
0: Hmm.
1: And so the question all people should ask is, after you've worked and searched for all the ways of being healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you sucked all the pleasure, pleasure out of it, what is left over? What will satisfy you? What must I do to be whole? And, and the answer Solomon gives us in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. And there's two phrases in there that really stand out to me. One is that God gives wealth. And the other is that God does not give them the power to enjoy them. Mm. And these really, really stood out to me in, in regards to what it means to be whole. It's kind of a common thing that we don't, when people become very wealthy, they feel like the power that they have in that is their own doing. They've done this. They've accomplished this, and so and Solomon would say, you know, everything is empty because God is not part of it, and so the power comes when God becomes part of it. And the word "whole" is a really interesting word in Hebrew. It would be a very common word called shalom. Mm. (laughs) You've heard that one, yeah. (laughs) And Susan Perlman, in an article titled "What Is Shalom," wrote this. The ancient Hebrew concept of peace rooted in the word shalom meant wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity, carrying with it the implication of permanence. And so when we talk about being wealthy and whole, I have to say it's sad that I've not met a lot of wealthy people that are whole. They may believe in Jesus. They may give tons of money to the church. They may do all these wonderful things, but they are not whole. They're not feeling that soundness, that completeness that God, only we can get through God.
0: Yeah. So tell me more about this study. I'm fascinated.
1: Yeah, so... How does Jesus give us the power to enjoy our wealth? That, that's really what it comes down to. What we just read in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 is, is also written, given in greater detail, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 6 through 18. And we won't t- take the time to read it, but you should probably, the listener should go in and, and read that passage. Because when you read that passage, it takes you back to creation and the Garden of Eden. And uh, it's just a wonderful passage. When you think about why aren't people whole? Why aren't wealthy people whole? Why aren't we feeling that completeness? We really see it in, in, in the creation story, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them in six days. On the sixth day days when he created mankind, after each day of creation, he looked and admired what he created and he says, oh, it is good. On the sixth day, he created mankind in his image and his likeness. He formed him in the palm of his hands out of the dirt of the ground, and he blew his own breath into him. And then he said it was very, very, it was very good. So after each day of creation, it was good. After the creation of mankind, it was very good. Now, this is what blows me away. Where God put mankind, it must be very, very good. Mm. Because where he put him was in the garden to work and keep it. Mm-hmm. Genesis two seventeen right? And so when you when you think about that kind of reasoning, now a bunch of you right now might be going, work is very, very good. What you talking <laughs> about, Willis? <laughs> now, some of you don't know where that phrase is from. Just Google kind, it. Kind
0: of anyway. like Reader's <laughs> Digest. I was thinking my kids have no idea what Reader's <laughs> Digest is. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're saying like some
0: people might question the idea that work is actually good because they might view it as, maybe they view work as a curse.
1: Well, yeah, I would say most people say that work is a four-lettered word. Mm. You know, statistically, this is very interesting. Statistically, 67% of the listeners right now are totally unsatisfied in their work. Gallup studies show that 51% 51% of the people are not engaged at work, and another 16% are actively disengaged. That means that 67% of the people on earth view their work as a four-letter word. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, before we answer that, there's a couple things that we should really point out here, and that is the definition of the, work. the word work and the word "keep it," mm-hmm. those two words are important for us to understand. Now, it's also important for us to remember that this this is taking place before the fall. This is this is the creation story. Our our professor Gary Brasher's from Western Seminary. Gary mm-hmm. he defined work this way. He says work is the gracious expression of Yahweh's creative energy in service of others to create shalom. Mm-hmm. I like it. Now. That's a mic drop moment. So I I want to read it one more time. Work is the gracious expression of Yahweh's creative energy in service of others to create shalom. I love this definition because we've been created in his image and his likeness to be co-creators with the creators of the heavens and the earth. And we do that through work, which is crazy when you really think about it now, here it is. This is the big one, too. The, the Hebrew word for work is abad or avod. My Hebrew is horrible, so if you're a scholar right now cringing in your seat, I'm sorry. But the word is a verb meaning to serve, service to God and to others. Now, what makes this four-letter word very, very good is the fact that out of the 289 times we see that word in the Bible— A hundred and twenty-four of them are translated worship. Mm. Yes, Mm. worship. For instance, Moses wrote, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and announce to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can avod me or worship me. Ah. Isn't that wild? So they were
0: working for Pharaoh and and. Of course, Pharaoh wanted them to probably worship him as well. But he says, let them go so that they may worship me. And that means essentially also work for me.
1: 100%. Yeah. Hand in hand with God. Isn't that crazy? Let me ask you
0: something real quick, Jeff. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many times people would say, and, and I generally agree with the statement, that God cares so much more about who you are in relation to him than he does about what you do for him. How do you think that this that statement fits into this understanding of work as a way of worshiping?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great question. So in the creation story, before the fall, God created us. He gave us He gave us these attributes of God that we are to make visible. We're we're to make the invisible attributes of God of our creator and redeemer to the world. And the way I believe that he is showing us here is that he's done that through our work. So our work should be a time of worship. That's how he created it to be to work hand in hand. That's, that's the original thing. It's so funny when, when we think about that word worship, we often think of singing and certainly singing is a way in which we express our worship. But the Hebrew word means much, much more than singing. It means that work and worship are, are not two separate ideas. Yeah, It's sad when a person looks at the work as secular and not sacred. For in the beginning, there was no separation. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a great book. John Mark Comer wrote a book called Garden City. And it's a great book on this whole, on this whole topic. But in there, he, he wrote this, and I, I love this. He says the entire paradigm of the sacred and the so-called secular is seriously out of whack. And not only untrue, but it's also dangerous. Let me make my point. To start, let's talk about the word spiritual. It's one of those words we use all the time, but as a wise Spaniard with a sweet mustache once said, that's from Princess Bride if you didn't get that he said, "I don't think it means what you think it means. Did you know there is no word for spiritual in the Hebrew language? Why? Because in Hebrew, in a Hebrew worldview, all of life is spiritual, mm. and so here we here we are looking at work as this place of worshiping God and being... Probably the most spiritual place that we should be in. Imagine if every Christian went to work tomorrow and worshiped while they worked. What an impact it would make on the world around us. The, the other words that we wanted to look at was keep it. Remember, God put Adam in the, in the garden to work and to keep it. That word in Hebrew is shamar, and it's translated to to take care of or to cultivate or to develop. So Eden was this place of beauty filled with luscious trees and gardens with rivers flowing through it. It had a precious onyx stones and gold. Animals roamed the land and the birds flew in the sky. And Adam was put in this place to, of delight to live, to work, and to cultivate. Everything he would need to flourish was at his fingertips. I love what Tim Keller wrote. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful picture that what God has done with you and me and every one of us as listeners is like Adam. He's he's dropped us into this world and he's given everything that we need to, to flourish at our fingertips. We have all the all the materials necessary to cultivate a ground for food and medicine and materials, to build buildings and cars and computers, works of art and music. And so when you think about God creating us as his co-creators, this is why he put us on the planet. And, um, and this is, this is f- the purpose of that. Yes. So the question comes, why aren't wealthy people who have this creative ability that God gave them, God gave it to them, Deuteronomy 8 and and Ecclesiastes 6, God gave them the ability to create. Why aren't they flourishing? That's the big question.
0: Yeah, and I want you to answer that question, but before you do, I just wanted to jump in and say, you know, that whole idea of the sacred-secular divide, you know, that's something that came about in the Middle Ages, I'm sure maybe even early Middle Ages as well, but it was a big point of the reformation was to push back against that. In fact, I think a lot of people don't realize this when they think about, you know, the famous five solas of the reformation. So we got sola gratia by grace alone, fide f- by faith alone. These all speak of salvation, right? Christ alone, solus Christus that speaks of salvation. And then it, then it goes on to sola scriptura meaning that's a source, primary source of our theology, but the fifth one I think is the one that people don't realize what it's actually referring to, and that's soli deo gloria, everything to the glory of God alone. But that was actually in reference to the idea of work, meaning that all people could serve God by doing their, their vocation. And that's another one, is that the word vocation, a lot of people don't realize that that is actually a word which became popular during the Reformation. And the reason was because of the Reformers' belief that all work could be done to the glory of God. And so they said, you know, vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means calling. And in other words, what is your work? people would ask Martin Luther, and he's written about this, right? What is what is my calling from God? And he would say, what is the work that God has given you to do? Do it as a way to serve God by serving other people. And he has this very famous thing where he looks at the psalm that says, if God does not protect a city, then the watchmen watch in vain. And he says, okay, but how does God protect the city? Does he not do it through the, the watchman and through these other people, right? So he does mm-hmm. his work through people doing their jobs, but then maybe my favorite one is when he says God, Jesus himself taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Mm. That's a daily prayer that we're to pray. And To fulfill that, think about what has to happen. Well, there's a farmer involved, there's a miller involved, right? There's a grocer involved, there's your job, whatever it is that you do that makes the money that you're able to take to the grocery store. And he says, as all of these people go about their daily work, they are fulfilling, they are being used by God to answer the prayer of millions of people around the world. And so his whole point is, don't think that your work is merely secular. Your, Your work is absolutely something that can be done for the glory of god and for the good of others and you can actually be used by god to fulfill his purposes in the world and to meet the needs of others through your work and so uh, i absolutely love uh, what you're sharing here so please now answer the question that you left us with why is it that (laughs) more wealthy people are not whole
1: yeah well before i move on you need to send me that stuff that was really good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was that was really really good. Well, a tragic consequence of the fall was the loss of God's image. Right? God had created mankind with abilities to help us to subdue the world. God infused into mankind the ability to create, and just as God the ultimate creator created everything, so God also gave mankind a unique ability to communicate and to connect with him and to with one another. And by the words of his mouth, he, he spoke blessing to his most beloved mankind. God also gave us the ability to bless and to praise God and, and one another. But the moment Adam and Eve took control, the moment they tried to live in their own image, they lost God's image and everything fell apart. Rather than walking with God in the garden, they hid themselves. Rather than blessing one another with their mouths, they began to blame one another. Rather than their work being a form of worship, it became a four-letter word. And to, um, and to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it, that all the days of your life, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for it was you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. So as I'm reading that description, that consequence of the fall of man, that is a picture of what most people look at work at today. Yeah. Difficult thorns, sweat of our brow. And so the ugly reality is the fall has affected us all. And and so you know, to, to say that wealthy people are not the only whole people would be ridiculous because there's a lot of unwhole people walking on the earth today. It's interesting because when I look at Adam and Eve, they were very creative. You know, when when Adam and Eve decided to do it their own way, they found themselves in the garden before at the wedding ceremony. There they were standing naked and unashamed. And then they find themselves after taking control in the garden, naked and ashamed. And so they took, they were creative. They took these fig leaves, they covered themselves, and they felt like, oh, okay, I feel a little bit better. It's the first time they'd ever experienced shame, so they're trying to cover that shame. But what's interesting is, have you ever felt a fig leaf?
0: No, I have not, actually.
1: (laughs) A fig leaf is like sticky and prickly. Let's just say... Covering those parts of your body would not be comfortable yeah. and that's right that's what the world that's the world philosophy of I can do this on my own. Yes, you can. You have the power to do things on your own, but you'll never ever going to feel comfortable. You're never ever going to feel whole because we can only find our wholeness in Christ. Mm. and um, and so the question comes, you know, what can we do to become whole? What can a wealthy person do to become whole? The reason, as I stated earlier, that most wealthy people are not feeling whole is because they have learned to live for themselves. Now, I am not saying this, because I don't have experience with it. If you would have met me as a 29 year old, successful businessman, you would not have liked me. Because I wouldn't have cared about you for anything. I used to have a little sign on my desk that said, do whatever it takes. <laughs> because I was so motivated by money. I just did whatever it took to make that. And, and so I learned to live for myself. But what I found was living for yourself, you're totally empty. Yeah. You, you have no fulfillment. And this is probably what Paul meant when he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You see, this is the consequence of living for self. It always li- leads to sorrows. Living for God turns those sorrows into great joy. And so this is, this, is where, this is where it becomes difficult. You know, people think, oh, it'd be so much better to have a lot of money. I have to tell you, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Because then all you're thinking about is how do I keep this money and how do I make more money? Because God's created you to be a creator. So we shouldn't look at ourselves and uh, uh, we shouldn't look down at ourselves if we've made a lot of money. That is not what God wants us to do what god wants us to do is to realize and to humbly realize that god has made us to be creative to do those things and we need to rely on him and that's that's where it gets that's where it gets difficult in first peter chapter 6 paul goes teach those who are re- rich in the world not to be proud not to trust in their money which is so unreliable their trust should be in god who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And so we, we learn that something about these riches is we need to enjoy them. You know, so that was Solomon's whole thing. It's like, man, God's given me all these things, but he hasn't given me the power to enjoy them. The power to enjoy them is to render them and give them to God. Mm. So I, you had me share... And I wasn't prepared to share my testimony about giving the company away, but this is really what he showed me there. Another sort story that is quite humbling is when we had planted our church, or no, when we were praying about planting a church, there were two places. One was in Newport Beach, and the other was up in Lincoln, California, yeah. right next to Richard Semino. <laughs> Although I didn't know Richard at the time. I, I didn't know he was even there, but I just thought that was funny. But I remember having this conversation with God. God, I think it's Lincoln, California because I could sell my house and sell my company and I could buy us a church building and we could pay cash for it. And we'd have no overhead and we can do all these things. And I remember, have you ever been spanked by that?
0: (laughs) I'm not sure. Maybe (laughs) tell me what it's like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like, Oh, okay, Jeff, you can, you can do that. I guess, I guess you really don't need me after all, do Uh, you? And that's what it feels like to be spanked by God, <laughs> because we do need him. And that's why we ended up planning our church in, in Newport Beach, because that's where God wanted us. And he knew, he knew, he knew that I wouldn't be able to do, I would never be satisfied. I'd never be whole unless I gave it all to him. Yeah. You see, God's a giver. And he wants us to be givers. He doesn't want us to be self-focused. I mean, have you ever heard Jesus say anything about wanting something for himself?
0: Not that I can think of, no.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you think about that and you think about how God's created us in his image, in his likeness, he's created us to be givers. Now, this is, this is where the... This is wholeness may not come into a wealthy person's life. It's interesting when people think you're wealthy. And it's funny because people still look at me and they think I'm wealthy. I want to tell you that I'm not. But people look at me because of my past. And I wrote a book, you know, about this. And and, and so there's a lot of people will come for you they'll they'll want something for you. I've been doing ministry in India for the last 10 years and when I come there I feel like they're looking at a dollar bill. You know, all they can see is money. You know, that part of that's my own thing. It's not really theirs. But the point is this that we think, well, as long as I'm giving to the church, and thank God for people that give to the church. I know that you've just been going through a whole building program. You're probably very yes. thankful. You have some really great givers. You know, these are wonderful things. But one of the things that is missing, Nick, is that some of the wealthy people believe they're going to feel whole by their giving without ever really giving of themselves. Mm. And this is an area that we were talking a little bit about in Austria, mm-hmm. is how how can a wealthy people be a wealthy a wealthy person become fully whole is to use the gifts that God has given them for others. One of the things that Paul says at the end of there in verse Timothy, he says, you know, to be humble, to give it to God. But then he says to employ, to to basically use the gifts God has given you to help others. And <clears throat> this is where the enjoyment comes in. The enjoyment comes in when you are actively, not just giving of your wealth. Yes, thank you for that. But more than that is you're actively giving of yourself to to accomplish something for others. Mm-hmm. You know, be that going into the mission field or helping. You know, with the church building. You know, some of the guys that probably gave to to your church to help build the church are actively involved. They're like, yeah, I want to be part yeah. of this. Because God created us that way, and that's where the enjoyment comes in. Yeah.
0: That's good. And you know, my my experience has been that you get you get kind of both of those, right? So on the one hand, you'll get the person who says, I'm willing to give my time, but I'll never part with a dollar bill. And then you get the other folks who say, I'll give you my money, but don't ask anything else. and uh, And what you're yeah. saying is that, no... God has a much more holistic view of this, right? It's learn to give um, generously and learn to serve because we serve a God who is generous and a God who took on the form of a servant, humbled himself even to the point of a cross. And so that's really good, Jeff. And I wanted to ask you, so what does this look like? You told me that you're doing some things under the heading of wealthy and whole now where you live in Tennessee. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: You know, this is so funny um we are starting to do things <laughs> so I just it was so funny this morning I have on Tuesday mornings I meet with a group of guys and there's a couple guys in there that are retired two of them from you know huge corporations world travelers giving to the church you know wealthy guys and I've been talking to them about this about putting together a group of guys that have wealth but also have time and it wouldn't end there though because the idea is isn't that we do all of that yes we want to do that as older guys you know we want to we want to do that but we want to be pouring into younger guys Mm. and so building a group of guys that are creator or wealth creators you know that God has used to create wealth to work together and potentially send teams even to foreign countries like what we were talking about in Moldova or you know Romania or somewhere there were people having a difficult time and sending these guys that are that are so gifted and saying you know I'm going to go move there for a month and I'm going to find one young guy and I'm going to pour into this young guy or young gal and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach them everything I know. And if they want to start a business, I'm going to help them start the business, you know, but do it right. You know, not just give it to them, but actually say, OK, I'm going to loan you the money. I'm going to help you set up your books. You've got to pay it back. Here's how we'll do the payment plans. Because what this does is that it, God is using us in a creative way to impact a community that may not be impacted for Christ at all. You know, like I had shared with you before, being in India a lot, you know, a lot of people look down on Christianity because, you know, it's you know it's only three percent of the of the country is is Christian, most of it is Hindu, and so people aren't coming to church based on the philosoph- or the theological f- things that you're teaching, but they will come to church if you're impacting their community. Mm-hmm. And so I I just think about when Paul would sit down with Priscilla and Aquila and make tents. You know, I, in my mind, I can actually see them sitting around making tents going, yeah, how can, how can we take these, this tent making ability that God has given us and how can we impact the community for Christ and seeing churches being birthed out of that? And so uh, this is not a new vision. I know there's other people out there that are doing it. Like the Lausanne movement is one. And so we're just trying to, be creative and, and get a group of guys together and uh, and do it. So this Wealthy and Whole thing is actually built around a five or a, a three-day seminar that I want to do, which I have not done yet, mm-hmm. that we'd get a bunch of guys together, we'd go through this and go through like five teachings of the Word and see what God would do with it. So I'm really excited to see what God does with That's it. That's
0: really cool. I'm excited to hear about how that how that comes together. If, what would you say kind of in closing let's say somebody's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I resonate with everything you're saying. And maybe God does want me to take a next step. What would it, what would you suggest as potential next steps for people listening? And they, they resonate with what you're talking about.
1: Well, I answer that two ways. The first way is Solomon, at the end of Ecclesiastes, if he's the writer, I keep saying that because Gary, Gary and I had this argument or discussion wasn't an argument. So I have to be careful. He's my professor. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, fear God and keep his manment, commandments for this is the whole duty of mankind. Well, in that verse, that word duty is not there in Hebrew. Hmm. So what that verse is saying is, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole of mankind. He's saying, this is how you become whole. It's through the word of God and the work of the Holy yeah. Spirit. When, when we are just pouring our lives into the word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct us is when we begin to feel whole. And then we should take practical steps. And some of those practical steps are going to your pastor at your church and just saying, hey, I heard this podcast and I just want to do something. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And I can, I can guarantee you that your pastor is going to go, oh, man, do I want to help you? Because every pastor wants to have an impact on their communities and the communities abroad. And so, Yeah. So those are the, those are the two things that I would yeah. really encourage our listeners to do. Wow.
0: Thanks so much, Jeff, for your time. Thanks for sharing your work on wealthy and whole. And it's a, it's a great vision, very informative, really appreciate you coming on and sharing that.
1: Thanks, Nick. It's always, it's so much fun doing podcasts with you. This is, I think our second one or third. Oh, uh,
0: third. This is our third.
1: It yeah. is third. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very good. So thank you so you much. Bet.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the People. If there's ever a topic that you'd like to learn more about, there's a section on my website where you can submit questions and suggest topics for me to cover. That can be found at nickkatie.org. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. That way, when new episodes are posted, they will be delivered right to your podcast app. If this episode was helpful, please share it with others. And if you'd like to support this podcast, the best way you can do that is by leaving a written review on the Apple podcast app. That really helps boost this show in their ratings. So if you would do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, God bless you.